Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. So excited to have the very talented Dina Ackerman on our show today. She is an artist, an illustrator, a teacher, and is the one of the pioneers again? I, th- I think that you know you got, always got to find your your special niche. No one rocks the LinkedIn and Facebook in the Jewish art world like she does, and and it's amazing. Like she does these videos where you actually see her draw, and it's just like wow. I happen to draw a little bit, um, and it's like watching her. Um, I, I, I seriously have regrets that I didn't pursue it more seriously because it's just amazing what humans can create with a little bit of vision and a lot of training. Um, so in the in the course of our interview today, we discuss not only creativity and art and the fundamentals of art and how you get good and how you can express your creativity. We also go into a little bit, I would call it religion, a little bit of 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 concepts about keeping our um, our spirituality fresh and updated, which is something that she's very much in, invested in and working in because she's illustrating these books that are going to be educating our children. And in addition, we speak about this whole concept of God's involvement in our life and how to expect it and how to how to experience it and channeling it and where does, where does it come from. So I think that there's a, a lot in this interview and I'm very excited. And with no further ado, uh, Dina Ackerman. Tell me a little bit about how you got into art and also how you use art to advance, I guess, awareness of spirituality. Okay. Uh, I got into art, I don't know, since I was a kid. So I've just always been drawing and painting. Um, and my parents would send me to art lessons because they saw that I was just, you know, always doing it and that I, I guess I must have been pretty good at it back then. So um, I haven't been formally trained. I haven't gone to an art school, but um, so I say self-taught. Yeah, no, I try to keep learning. So, you know. So, but I, I, think, I think that we need to, I think it helps other people understand when you say, when you hear self-taught, I'm thinking, you know, you're scribbling on napkins from time to time, but like, in the process of your training yourself, what was the process like? Was there a set hours? How many, how many, how much drawing during every day were you doing? Like, what was that like? Oh, so it's, I don't know. It's, I, I was the type who was always drawing on my notes in school and I was always on weekends. I would sit in my room and draw and I would, you know, people would come to me to draw their book report covers and I was just like always drawing. So it's interesting because I just heard this concept about the 10,000 hour rule. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know about the exact number of hours, but like, I feel like if you added up all my hours since I was a kid that, uh, I don't know. You got got that 10 grand there. But like I got a lot of hours in. Um, and I think that's really like the main thing is just practice, practice, practice. Like I, I teach now, I teach adult students and I have them for uh, one or two hours a week. And I tell them if they're not practicing at home, they're just not going to really move that quickly. And, you know, so the more time you put in, I guess. When did you start to feel, tell me also, what's really exciting about what you're doing is that you're a professional and you're able to get paid for doing work that you love to do and that expresses you. And I think that that's sort of at least, you know, I don't know in, in, the, in, the, in the Holy Land of Israel, but certainly in America, that's one of, those, uh, one of those things that's highly sought after. So tell me a little bit about how that process worked for you and 
maybe you know some some practical tips if you would that maybe you wish you would have known at the beginning of your process okay the process of, of turning it into a career yeah yeah um okay so i actually never really thought of it as a career um as a kid i was always encouraged like i hear a lot of artists saying that their parents discouraged them because they would say artists don't make money you know go get a real job okay. but no one ever told me that um but for some reason i never looked at it as a career until like about maybe seven or eight years ago when I got my first illustration job through a friend who knew an author who was getting a book published, a children's book. And they asked me to do some samples, which I did and the publishers liked it. And so that was my first children's book. And then from there, it just kind of, I don't know, snowballed in word of mouth and I would send people samples, publishers, or, you know, um, I guess people would refer me to other people and, and it just, sort of grew that what, way. What's it like seeing your art on, I mean, I, one of the things also I want to call a lot of attention to is the amazing work that you do on LinkedIn because you're, you're like, it's like a kind of a breath of fresh air that you have all this kind of like <laughs> business stuff and then, and then we see your drawings and stuff like that, which is very nice. But what's it like that process of seeing your art in a publication, you know, out there and kind of, do you feel like you lose, um, I guess ownership over it. Does it feel like it's a it's still a part of you when you're drawing, or once it kind of goes out there, that it becomes like part of the public domain? Oh, that's interesting. Um, no, I don't. I feel like um, it's fun to see my stuff published, and sometimes if it's something I'm actually proud of, like I don't get tired of looking at it. <laughs> but then there are other things I've done that if if it's been a long time ago and I've really made progress since then, so I just see a lot of mistakes that I've done and then, you know, it's not as much fun to look at it anymore, but, um, but uh, it's fun. Yeah, I enjoy it. And as far as LinkedIn, it's funny. I think I have an unfair advantage because all I have to do is put up a picture and you know, it's easy to see it. Just something else I think it's kind of interesting. And, and as an art teacher, maybe you can speak to this, but could the process of art, the process of being creative, I think that there's a certain stereotype that the, creatives are in one category where there's just like unlimited freedom and they can do sort of whatever they want. And then there's everybody else that, you know, has this you know, very rigid, you know, regimented job and you have to fill out reports and stuff like that. But one of the things I found is actually, I, you, I'm sure you know, um, Rabbi Gottlieb in Jerusalem, right? A, a rabbi who uh, I was listening to him and he was saying that, you know, good artists have a lot of science behind them. There's a lot of actual like hard technique and really good scientists have a lot of art in that they have to have that openness and creativity. So perhaps you could speak a little bit about, is there a wrong way to draw and how you can see your art developing over your career? Uh, is there a wrong way to draw? Yeah, I think there is. Um, which is why like I've heard artists talk about this 10,000 hour rule or just getting practice in. So they will say there's a difference between just practicing and drawing things your way, which might be the wrong way and actually doing like deliberate practice, maybe copying master artists or copying drawings that are done by, you know, professionals, which will actually train your brain and train your hands to do things in, a, in the right way. And some people will argue with me and they'll say any art is good art. And as long as you're expressing yourself, you know, you're, you're doing okay. If, you know, that's art. I don't, you don't look at it like that, though. No, um, there's a lot of science to it, and like the, I took a recently um, a composition course online uh, with the Academy of Composition, which I would recommend to anybody. 
Um, and it was fascinating showing how master artists um, and master illustrators have a real science of the way they compose their artwork so that it uh, not only looks pretty uh, or powerful, but tells a story and two different elements. Um, there's like a ton of planning that goes into you know, your work before you actually put a paintbrush onto your canvas. I think that that, as someone that uh, that happens to watch a lot of cooking uh, shows, I think that um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a similar thing with chefs, where if we would drop you in a room, your work would look a certain way before you even know what you're drawing, because there's a lot of technical skill that goes into actually building the painting or the illustration that's independent of the subject. Is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. Um, the subject influences it to some point, of course. but um, you, you know, you have to have technical skill. You have to know how to draw and paint, first of all. Um, and I think even abstract artists, I think there's technique and their skill um, involved um, to some extent. Um, sure, Picasso would be highly offended by that. Well, <laughs> if you look at Picasso's early work, right, right. He, he, he painted like, uh, he painted realism and, you know, more representational art. And then he moved into his more abstract art later on, but he had the same, you know, solid foundation that all other kind of master artists had. So I, I he think, made a deliberate choice. I think that that is such a crucial point for, for people to, to recognize is that we all sort of want to go into that flow state of I'm just, you know, gonna, you know, compose music or draw stuff. And you always try to cite those, you know, eccentric people that are able to create all this stuff. But the reality is like, long before they were doing that stuff, they could do all of the technical stuff that you think is boring yeah. that you don't want to do. That's a very important yeah. point. Yeah, um, I would think so. Why do people come to you? I mean, besides the fact that you're great, what are you seeing with adults that want to learn how to draw? Like, why are they doing that? Oh, um, uh, so, there's some of them that want to, I guess, some of them have some kind of natural inclination and they're actually good at it and they have like, you would say, natural talent. And some are totally clueless and are actually seem like frightened every time they have to put their pencil on the paper. Like they're afraid to make a mistake or do it wrong. Funny, like they want to oh. turn it into a career. Okay. Um, like my illustration course that I teach is more like, you know, practically based in how to illustrate books and things like that. But then there's just drawing and painting courses. Some people come for fun or to relax or, um, or because they have a skill that they want to develop. So I think there's all different types of people. And, and you would ad advise people, I'm assuming, that having a creative outlet is actually important because it does stimulate different parts of your mind than just, I don't know, reading or watching something. Yeah, I think so. And even the ones who come in and know nothing and, and are afraid to, you know, do make a mistake. And I tell them, it's just practice, just do it. And if it's, it doesn't look good, it's okay, because you're learning something from the process, you know, but I can see at the end of the year that everybody makes progress and, and they all make can produce something that they're proud of. So that's fun. I that's really amazing. Enjoy that part. That's amazing. And it's also yeah. nice to be able to have something that's outside of, let's say, your work where you can actually see that you're getting better at something because I think that that's also an important component of life. Yeah, it forces, when I have to teach them, it forces me to review things and to um, kind of understand my own process because I have to explain it to somebody else. Um, you are living in Jerusalem. You are, yes. I think, in, involved with a lot of the spiritual education and sharing some cool ideas. What is the connection? Um, between what is, is there a connection perhaps between what you do with art and your creativity and 
how you teach or Jewish concepts that you think are relevant to the world at large? So when I'm teaching it, I don't really have it, that element in it. It's just mostly technical skill and, mm -hmm. um, you know, building people's abilities. But in my, like in my illustration work, um, I, I often work for Jewish publishers specifically. So sometimes they'll have a, a message and, um, or certain historical characters I've illustrated, like Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, and I've illustrated Sar Shtir. Is that right is there like a lot of is there a lot of um, like a pressure <laughs> to get that right? <laughs> so it's interesting. I just recently had a, there's a book review coming out of my Sar Shtir book, and the author sort of like the uh, who the woman who wrote the review sort of warned me that it was mostly positive, but there was one negative um, part of the review, which was that my character, Sarah Schneer, doesn't look like the photographs that we have of her. She wasn't like the most attractive person. Right. And so the woman who wrote the review thought maybe it's a good idea to show other children that you don't have to be beautiful in order to make an impression on the world and to have an impact, which is certainly true. Um, but when you're drawing a character for a kid's book, I felt like it had to have a certain appeal and um, you don't have the chance to present yourself in person. Sometimes people are very charming and wonderful in person, even if they're not physically attractive. But when you're just looking at a picture of a character in a book, like, and they're not appealing, I feel like the book's not, just not gonna sell us. I don't know. Um, I tend to flatter my subjects anyway. So, I, no, I, 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 go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. So uh, I don't remember what the original question was. I, you know, we're 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 somewhat going into a different path, but I think it's such a fascinating <laughs> concept that, um, you know, we we, I I am very much invested in the idea, and I'm sure you're also in the idea that Judaism is kind of eternally relevant and has to be, not God forbid, changed, but presented in a way that is um, exciting for the next generation. And I think that that concept is, is, is crucial because um, as we move into a more visually, um, I don't know what to call it, there's just more visual stimulation out there. You have the colors and the media and all this kind of stuff. It's like, we have to make our, our heroes look like you said, it's like a photograph doesn't capture your essence. So you could have someone that it, that does have a tremendous, you know, like like uh, hey, now I'm forgetting the, the English word, but it's like like yeah. whatever that word is, the uh, the, like appeal, the charm, yeah, the charm uh, that you can't necessarily pick up from just a photograph. And yeah. there's certainly, I guess, an artistic license that you feel is important to be able to show that person as having that. I guess you could say that joyous spark of life that comes out, even yeah. if the photograph doesn't. And yeah. I, I wonder the psychology behind, I guess I can understand the psychology behind why someone wants it to look the way it's always looked. I wonder if they realize that it's like, it, that, doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't work. You know what I mean? It wouldn't translate. It really right. wouldn't. Right. And, but what I did was I looked very closely at whatever photographs were available of her. There's only like two or three. And I tried to take the features, and she's an older woman also in these characters, and I was drawing her more as like a teenager and a young woman. And I think also like younger women have that like natural freshness that they lose when they get older. So I was trying to imagine what she might have looked like at, when she was younger and take certain features that I could. And I tried to make her as similar as possible, but just give her like, you know, that youthful kind of appeal that young girls 
or whatever families, whoever's reading these books would enjoy looking at. Right. You know? That's what I'm saying. That, that's you, you want to feel, you know, it's, there was a, I had this crazy experience. This is the first time I'm speaking about it publicly. Um, I had this crazy <laughs> experience in when I went to Yeshiva, I, I come from, I, whatever, I'm from California and I, I like to work out. And I remember coming to Yeshiva and one of the rabbis making a comment like, you know, oh, that's not, you know, whatever it was, you know, that's not a, a Jewish, whatever thing. And, and, and it really sort of created a, like a, like a, like a schism in my mind between, okay, this is what I'm doing as an Orthodox Jew and Orthodox Jew should look like a frail rabbi and be old. Right. <laughs> and, and then there's me and I'm like, well, I, I think that Arnold Schwarzenegger looks fantastic. So yeah. um, the, the interesting thing though, is I read a piece by Rev Cook later and he said that that frail look is actually like exiled Jews. And he said, if you look at the original Jews, right, the, 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 they were big, strong warriors. And yeah, like you don't the, see the biblical Jews in illustrations as right. like pale, frail. Yeah, and all the the, 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 the matriarchs are all beautiful. And, and yeah. you know, it's like, and so it's, it's funny because I think as a, as, a, as a Jewish culture, we on one end want to try to immortalize the past, but a lot of the past that we're immortalizing is just kind of reflective, not of the, the, the true personalities. It was just like, it was hard times. There was no makeup back then, you know? It was like, life yeah. sucks and everyone was pretty poor. So um, that's a fascinating point. One thing you also mentioned in uh, kind of our pre-interview discussion was that you're very passionate about showing like divine guidance in, in one's life or that, or that concept. And I think in a, in a world where so many people are like, okay, like, show me the proof. You know, I believe in my shoes because I can see them. Why, why should I believe in Shabbos or God? Like these kind of concepts are very important. So what does divine providence mean to you? Or, or what's your experience been with that that you feel is important for other people to hear? Um, I, can, I, I just see it in my personal life. Like, Tell me more. I'll go be going through something and I'll be like, and, and, I, and I talk to God and I pray and I'm, I'm like, listen, you love me like a father, right? If, it, if I was talking to my real father and he could give me whatever I wanted, he would give it to me. And, and God, I feel like, you know, he can do whatever he wants and he's my dad. And so I'll ask him and like, if it's good for me, he'll give it to me. So like, I'll have my list of things and I'll be like, I need it to be like this. I need it to happen at this time. And like, you know, this is what, you know, you love me, so you'll do it for me. And it doesn't always work out that way. And sometimes usually works out even better. And I'll look back at the things I asked for and I'll see what actually happened. And I'll be like, wow, you just like worked that out for me in a way that I didn't even think about, you know, when I was asking for what I wanted. I, so I that wanna, happens to me. Could I stop you and just, and just ask a couple follow-up questions about that <laughs> so far? Because, you know, what you're saying is such a, in a lot of ways, it's a very classically Jew. I'm not to say it's, you know, it's, it's, I mean, like, I'm, I'm sure it is. It's, it's, <laughs> no, it's like, it's a very Jewish thing that we speak to God as if he's, he's in our lives. Like, it's a good idea that God should be a part of, a part of our lives. Where did you, how did you start with that? That concept of like the simple faith that, you know, a lot of times we look at our ancestors. I remember my mom saying my grandma used to do that. And we look at our ancestors, I'm not saying I don't do that. I'm just saying you, you brought it up. <laughs> but we look at our ancestors and on one end, it's a level of, you know, I think we make a big mistake and we think that maybe our ancestors were not as sophisticated as we are today. But I think another thing that we look back at our ancestors that we, we really admire is that their Judaism was real. And their Judaism was very much a part of their life. And it sounds like you've been able to cultivate that. So 
how did that happen for you and what was that process like? Uh, probably just the way I grew up. Uh, my father happens to be a rabbi and um, he was involved with outreach. So we had a lot of people around and I would overhear their discussions. And um, so it was a lot of talk about God. And then my mom was the type of person who like when we're driving to our dentist appointment, you know, and, and we have five minutes and she can find a parking spot and she would be just like, please, God, find us a parking spot. Please, God, find us a parking spot. So like we learned like any little thing that you need, you ask God. And like I do that with my kids too. Like, you know, if, if the internet goes down <laughs> and they want to use the computer, so I'm like, you got to dob it, you know, you got to pray. Uh, so we'll sit there and go, please, God, <laughs> turn the internet back on. So now, some know, people, like some people might say, and, and I, and I want to point this out. And I always like when someone else says it, so I don't sound nuts, but you know, <laughs> you have, you have the, the creator of the world that, you know, built glaciers. I don't know why that's so impressive, but glaciers are molecular structure. <laughs> and it's like, you know, or there are people that are in, in a hospital somewhere and like pleading for their life or all these massive problems. And, we're praying for our internet to, to hold up or to find a parking <laughs> space. Do you, do you, what would you say to someone that would say like, do you think God actually cares about all these little minutiae in your life? Yeah, I, I kind of think he does. I mean, I don't know where the source is, but it says like every blade of grass has like an angel that tells the it. Talmud, the Talmud, you know, says that. the Talmud says that. The Gemara Bracha says that. Yes. Yeah, I mean, so if God is overseeing every blade of grass growing, then I'm sure he cares about whether I find a parking spot or, mm. you know, whatever. And we even have a prayer, you know, when you lose an object, they have a special prayer and then you give charity. And, and I've tried that uh, quite a number of times and it actually works. Crazy. <laughs> so like, you know, I, I, I see it. I, I mean, I, I, I do think he cares. Yeah. So that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a beautiful concept that a lot of times I think that it's, and, and not to go into the, the psychology of it, but because our society is so general and a lot of people feel unheard and not important and are sort of looking for that validation, the idea that the creator would give you that validation and actually cares where you park or how your internet connection is, in a lot of ways it seems far away. But on the other hand, it's like, that's the most beautiful thing in the world. If like yeah. God cares so much about you that he just like practically wants you to be happy. And you're not just some expendable piece, like a, like a cow in a countryside somewhere. Yeah. It's a very beautiful idea. Yeah. If he cares enough to like heal you from a sickness or, or provide you with a, a livelihood or, you know, the big things that you need in life, you know, and he cares enough to take care of that. What's the difference for him if he's, you know, giving you a hundred dollars or giving you a, you know, helping you find your phone charger that you lost, you know, <laughs> you know this, this losing theme, I think with people with young children is kind of ongoing. So you have to get, <laughs> Probably. Yeah. It's like, I'll interview the someone. Shoes, I'm trying to, the... right, exactly. Shoot, you're right. You, I'm trying to interview someone and I pull up a crayon and I'm like, Oh great. This isn't going to work. Um, <laughs> anyway, okay. That's amazing. So um, Dina, please tell, unfortunately we have to close it out for this time, but hopefully we'll do again. Please tell people how they can find out more about you, your classes, your illustration, the best way to find you on social media, et cetera. Okay, thank you. I have a website. It's my name, Dina, D-E-N-A, Ackerman.com. Um, I'm on Facebook, Art by Dina. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram, also Art by Dina. And um, I teach here in Ramat Beit Shemesh, adults. Um, I'm so jealous of the fact you live there. That place is like my favorite spot on earth. It's really yes. great. Thank so God. cool.
um, nice here. Amazing. So I know people wanted to find out more about your classes. What? Just find you through social. Uh, yeah, they could contact me. I work at a at a small art school here. Beautiful. Amazing. So that's where I teach three times, three mornings a week. So they're Great. welcome to be in touch with me. Yeah. Great. Amazing. Dina, thank you so much for the time. Thank you. It was a pleasure. There you have it, folks, another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, We have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.